Hello, everybody, and welcome to the True Blue Crime Podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I will be your host for this episode. Now, this is part three of the three-part series on crimes involving the old Fort Hood military installation that is now known as Fort Cavazos. In part one, we covered a tragic training accident that resulted in the preventable death of a soldier, and then the horrific 2009 mass shooting that left 12 soldiers and one civilian dead after being shot by Army Major Nadal Hassan in an act of terror on the base. In part two, we covered a thwarted mass shooting in 2011 and another mass shooting in 2014, and then a series of crimes including a rash of homicides in 2020. One of those homicides, the murder of Vanessa Guillen, caused a media firestorm that brought enough attention to the issue for it to finally be addressed. We will cover her tragic case in this episode. If you'd like to get updates about what the podcast is up to, please like and follow the True Blue Crime Productions Facebook page. More information can be found at the show's website at truebluecrimeproductions.com. And if you'd like to email the host directly, my email is truebluecrimeproductions at gmail.com. If you can, please support the show via Patreon or PayPal. Links to make donations are on the website at www.truebluecrimeproductions.com. Any donation level helps, and it'll help ensure I can keep making free episodes of the podcast and expand the podcast in the future. Any donations will receive a shout-out in a future podcast, a thank-you message from the host, and some cool True Blue Crime merch. For no cost whatsoever, please rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Thanks so much, and without any further ado, let's dive into this episode of True Blue Crime. The horrible issue of sexual harassment, abuse, and assault has been pervasive in many work environments such as law enforcement and the military for the last 70 plus years. These male-dominated professions have often used a code of silence and shame to keep victims from reporting these terrible acts to their superiors. While some change in laws and culture have made it easier for victims to report incidents and seek help, the reality is that as we as a society still have a long way to go. On August 25, 2020, the body of 23-year-old Army Sergeant Elder Fernandez was found hanging from a tree roughly 30 miles from Fort Hood, the most recent base the NBC specialists have been stationed at. The finding of his body ended a week-long search for the young NCO in what was just the latest of many suspicious deaths in 2020 involving Fort Hood soldiers. Sergeant Fernandez was struggling with many stressors before he went missing. He was going through a divorce, had reported being suicidal, and had recently reported a sexual assault he encountered involving a senior NCO. After reporting the incident, he was transferred to a new unit, and while battling depression, suicide, and homelessness, he had moved out due to the impending divorce, he checked himself into an army hospital for suicidal ideations. After spending a week in the hospital, he requested to be released from the army to go home to family to better treat his mental illness, but his request was denied and he was told to return to active duty. A non-commissioned officer was dispatched from his unit to pick him up from the hospital and drive him to his car where he had been living, but due to the car sitting idle while he was in the, being treated, it wouldn't start. So the NCO gave him a ride to a friend's house in Killeen, dropped him at the curb, and left. Sergeant Fernandez never entered his friend's house, and no one would see or hear from him again until his body was found. Due to his recent treatment for suicidal ideations, he had been ordered to show up for a safety check the following morning, but when he failed to make it to the safety check, no one alerted his unit, and his disappearance went unnoticed for almost 48 hours. By the time the CID was notified of the disappearance, they were 48 hours behind and found it difficult to make much headway in the search for the young sergeant. His unit had listed him as AWOL the morning after his missed safety check and sent someone to check on him at the friend's house, and that is when they realized he was missing. 
According to the Army, a large search both on and off post was organized by his unit, but according to Sergeant Fernandez's family, no such search was conducted, and when they arrived shortly after his reported missing, they felt nothing had been done to locate their son. When CID first learned about the missing sergeant, they called his unit and his company commander was not sure when the young NCO had been released from the hospital or when anyone had last had contact with him. In short, the entire communication network regarding the missing sergeant was FUBAR. And if you don't know what FUBAR means, watch Saving Private Ryan or look it up on the internet, but it's a perfect acronym to use for this situation. Sergeant Fernandez's father was a high-ranking police official for the island country of Cape Verde, located off the coast of West Africa. He put a call into investigators pleading for help finding his son. An investigation was launched into Sergeant Fernandez's behavior, and it found that he had been committing acts associated with paranoid behavior and depression. The NCO that was accused of the sexual assault was subjected to a polygraph about the incident, and he passed, indicating to the Army that the incident had been fabricated. But what was clear was that the young sergeant was struggling with mental health issues, and the Army failed to recognize the issues or follow its own policies in regards to a safety plan. Sadly and ironically, five days after his body was found, a committee arrived at Fort Hood to look into Fort Hood and the culture that existed there and to see what changes could be made to prevent more violent crimes and suicides. The committee clearly wasn't there for the very recent case of Sergeant Fernandez, as the Army never moves that fast. They were there in response to a much more publicized incident, the case of the missing and murdered Vanessa Guillen. Vanessa Guillen was a 20-year-old small arms and artillery repairer stationed at Fort Hood in 2020. She was a native Texan and was born in Houston and graduated from Cesar Chavez High School in 2018. It said she was a gifted athlete, a stellar student, and wanted to serve her country. Her parents had emigrated from Mexico and wanted a large family, and Vanessa was one of six children. After completing her basic and advanced individual training, she was stationed at Fort Hood and assigned to the 3rd Cavalry Regiment. On April 22, 2020, which was a Wednesday, around 1 p.m., she parked her car outside her work building. She was supposed to be off that day, but she'd been called into work, so she arrived in civvies, which basically just means a non-military uniform, wearing a black t-shirt, purple leggings, a fanny pack, and tennis shoes. And so if you haven't been in the military, there's basically, I guess there's three uniforms that you would wear in the military. You've got your PT gear, which you wear to physical training. Um, often soldiers, at least in basic training, that's what you'll sleep in because you don't have access to, to any other clothes. You have your PT gear, you have your, what we had was BDUs, now called ACUs, I believe, but it's your regular, what you would expect, the camouflage style, top and bottom, that with boots that you would see most soldiers in on a daily basis and then you've got your dress uniforms and there's various stages of of dress uniform but when you're not in one of those work uniforms and you're wearing something that a civilian would wear they're called civvies so i don't know why she was supposed to be off that day it does seem strange that she was off on a wednesday but it's possible that she had pulled a weekend shift sometimes soldiers get assigned to desk duties at like a battalion headquarters for the weekend, uh, answering phones, doing paperwork, whatever it might be. And so they get granted days off during the week. So it's possible that was the case. It was possible she requested a day off, just wanted a, a Wednesday off to get caught up on some personal stuff, whatever it might be. 
and it didn't say the reason that she was called into work. There was later talk of some communication between her and another, another soldier. So I don't know if it was that she was you know, asked to come in to take care of some work that she didn't get done over the weekend or the day before or whatever it might be. But it's was, it was clear the fact that she showed up in civvies, that she only meant to be there for a little bit, maybe take care of one mundane task and then be done for the day. However, that afternoon, her texts to her family stopped and she missed a prearranged call to her fiance. They drove to the base and arrived during the early morning hours, but were told to come back in a few hours when the base was more operational to assist in the search. The following day, she was reported missing by base MPs to the Army CID, which is the Criminal Investigation Division. Her vehicle was found to still be parked outside her work building, and her car keys, ID card, bank card, and her key for her room in the barracks were found inside the armory where she worked. And an armory is is usually an offset area where soldiers check out and turn in their service weapons before and after training exercises. The weapons are checked for issues and are serviced and are maintained by trained armorers. And they're usually stored in some type of locked and secure area. And oftentimes this is kind of like a, a bank vault type setting. And Guillen's family were notified of her disappearance and were immediately suspicious. They knew their daughter was not one to go AWOL, and the fact her personal items were in the armory led them to believe she was the victim of foul play. Like many other missing soldiers, her case was first assumed to be AWOL, or absent without leave, related, as missing persons in the military are often like those of runaway teenagers. They voluntarily disappear until they decide to come back or are found by law enforcement. And so this is something we have talked about uh, at length in some of our missing person's cases involving uh, teenagers. It's so common with law enforcement uh, outside of the military to have these teenage runaways, these kids that they get in a, uh, a verbal argument with their mom or the dad and they say, I'm out of here. And they pack a backpack and they head to a friend's house. And the, the parents want to report them as missing or a runaway. And then the police will take a missing person's or runaway case. But oftentimes, the kid's going to go to some friend's house and eventually the parents at the friend's house after a couple nights are going to say, Hey, aren't you, you know, do your parents know you're here? Are you supposed to be staying here this long without somebody knowing where you are type of a thing. And eventually I said, either that tips off police to where the, the kid is at or the parents to where the kid is at. And good parents might just go grab their kid and then call the police and say, we've got them. Other parents sometimes say, Hey, can you go pick up my kid from here? And, you know, the police kind of become this retrieval system for their children. Or, as I said, sometimes the kid just runs out of places to crash and will return home. And then the parents call and say, hey, so-and-so came home. But the vast majority of missing teenagers that I dealt with over my career are kids that are going to be home within 24 to 48 hours. Now, that didn't mean I didn't treat them as runaways and take a report and, and try to locate them. But in the military, it's kind of the same thing. There's this these MPs and the CID are used to people just going AWOL. If they're missing, they went AWOL. They, the boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with them back home, so they're going to go home and try to win their boyfriend and girlfriend back. And back home might be a two-day drive away, so they just, they're still sometimes teenagers or you know young adults. They're impulsive. They don't think things through, and so they drive off the base, and they're going to go deal with this relationship issue that's way more important than their 
career as a soldier and suddenly they're AWOL. And again, they'll either come back or they'll get caught an AWOL warrant. So again, the vast majority of times that a soldier goes missing, this is what MPs and CID are dealing with. But as CID began investigating PFC Guillen's disappearance, they learned that she had reported being sexually harassed by an unnamed NCO on the base. This report had not been made with the army, but with her family. According to the family, she told them this NCO, which I think I've used the term quite a bit, non-commissioned officer. It's basically a a non-commissioned leader, so a corporal, sergeant, staff sergeant, and above that has a position of, of leadership. But she had told them that this NCO had several reports made against him by young female soldiers, but nothing had been done about it. And her family would later tell media that her daughter felt she was being stalked by this NCO as she would see him following her while she was running, and he looked at her in a way that creeped her out. PFC Guillen's mother, Gloria, urged her to tell her superiors, but she reassured her mother that she could handle the situation herself. PFC Guillen told her mother that she feared for her safety on the base and that the base had an evil feel to it that made it difficult to sleep at night, a feeling she had never had before. In fact, her family would repeat this about their time on the base and in Colleen, Texas. They claimed they never felt safe and there was an evil air, and when her mother got out of the car, her rosary in her hand fell apart into pieces. It was an ominous welcome to a place that has seen its fair share of pain and death. And I got a lot of this information for the story from a Vanity Fair uh, article that was done in regards to Fort Hood and the mysterious deaths and that kind of stuff. And if you can, I think the first article on Vanity Fair to read is free. Uh, Look this article up if you want more information about the the deaths I talked about in episode 83 and then these this case in 84 they do a really good job of covering it and they use a lot of really gloom and doom black and white photos of Colleen Texas and people related uh, survivors of these homicide and suicide victims and pictures up from the base itself and uh, and of course it's on you know an overcast day and it's in black and white so it just looks dreary but it does really capture kind of this this cold dark evil feel of of the town and the base so if you get a chance check out that article it gave me a lot of great information for this this episode and as i said you'll get a, a more visual feel for everything around this base and around this town and the investigation quickly focused on the last person known to see PFC Guillen alive. A fellow soldier, Specialist Aaron Robinson, was working in the same area the afternoon she went missing. When asked by CID, Specialist Robinson told them that the day was normal and he had given PFC Guillen a serial number for a 50 caliber machine gun that needed servicing. He stated he saw that she had serviced the weapon and then he watched her walk out of the building. He claimed he finished his workday shortly after and went off post to spend the night with his girlfriend, Cecily Aguilar. Three unidentified soldiers would tell CID at one point that they saw PFC Guillen walk out of the building that day around the time Specialist Robinson reported her leaving. As far as CID was concerned, it was looking more and more like PFC Guillen had vanished into thin air after finishing her work that day. But Gloria Guillen, Vanessa's mother, wasn't convinced something didn't happen to her daughter in the armory. After all, all of the items she needed for the rest of her day had been located inside the building, so why would she leave without them? And this is, again, something we've run into a lot of times on these missing persons cases, whether it be the Watts family, there's several others that we've talked about where they're homicide victims, but first they're reported missing, and it's what the 
investigators find at their last known place that should give them some idea of, of potentially what happened. Now, like we have the case of the McStay family that we just recently covered, vehicles missing, car keys are missing, some items, most items they would have needed were missing, a few random items were left behind, some prescription sunglasses, but in the Watts case, it was vehicle left behind, car keys left behind, purse left behind, cell phone left behind. And this is, again, what we're what we're running into in this situation is investigators are looking and saying, hey, look, she needs, she's got barracks keys. She can't get back into her place without these. Why would she leave without them? Her ID card, she needs that to get off the base, and or on and off the base, I should say, back on the base after leaving. Uh, she's going to need her car keys because her car's still out in the parking lot. So where would she go without without car keys and without all of these items. So it's, it's again, it's one of those things that it doesn't look like she planned to leave and there's nothing indicating that she was in any type of rush where she would have accidentally left all of these items behind in a rush. And even if she did, again, she'd have to come back for them at some point in order to complete her day and she hasn't done that. And then Gloria had tried to get her daughter to tell her the name of the soldier who had been harassing her, but she had refused. But now that she was on base, she started asking around, and someone told her the name Specialist Aaron Robinson, the same soldier who had been reported being the last soldier to see her alive. And so in, in, in before, in a lot of the articles are read, and this is sometimes because reporters aren't as familiar with the military as somebody who was in the military, when I first started researching, they kept saying that this was her superior, this was a NCO, this was a, her leader, whatever it might be, that was sexually harassing her. Well, in reality, a specialist, yes, by seniority, he's a rank above PFC. So by military standards, yes, he does outrank PFC Guillen, but he doesn't truly have any command power over her. So he's not a direct leader. He's not an NCO. She's an E3, he's an E4. If he was an E4 corporal, he'd be an NCO. And then, yes, there would be some leadership, some command structure above him. Not that it makes a difference. It's just when I started reading this, I at first thought, because I saw his name come up at some point in the article and went, well, he can't be the suspect because he's not an NCO. But again, this is what sometimes in reading these, and this is why I'm doing this podcast, is to educate people and the reporter saying that this this was an NCO that was sexually harassing her stocking and all that kind of stuff. Not true. Superior is is that gray area. Yes, he outranks her, but he's not exactly somebody who should be technically giving her orders that she has to follow. Now, every unit's different, and in some units, these specialists feel like they have earned some type of power over the, the lower ranking privates. They were there at some point and maybe they had a specialist that pushed them around or ordered them around. So I could see where that would come across maybe as a superior depending on the unit. But there's other units that basically if you're not an NCO, you, you're not giving orders, you're not pushing people around, you're you're just reached your highest rank without becoming an NCO. And, and so, and there's probably a reason you have not been selected to be an NCO. But anyway, Gloria had to tread carefully as she was not a U.S. citizen and was on parole for being in the country illegally. And this is likely why her daughter had tried to keep her mother out of the issue in the first place. And so this is a very difficult thing for Gloria, of course. She's on parole for being in the country illegally. 
yet she has to deal with the U.S. government in order to try to locate her daughter. And and before her daughter went missing, the, the risk-reward of that is you know, the more waves she makes in terms of this sexual harassment stuff with her with her daughter with the u.s government she has to be careful because if they want to just make the issue go away they can make her go away for being in the country illegally so this is what likely why pfc Guillen didn't want her mother involved while she was basically just wanted somebody to vent to about what was going on and she didn't feel comfortable because of the culture on this base venting to some of her fellow soldiers so she she turned to family and of course sometimes somebody just wants to vent and but when you have a a parent or whatever you know a a good friend sometimes or a significant other sometimes they see it as they need to to help fix your problem but a mother's love and in this case a mother's wrath was going to ensure that the investigation kept moving forward Gloria and the rest of the family put up missing posters, distributed flyers, and met with politicians to bring awareness to the issue. And there really was a rally cry around this case itself. Vanessa Guillen was a Hispanic female soldier, so she got support from both the Latin community and the female community as well. Uh, There's a lot of people that backed her family on this saying this can this can't be acceptable this kind of stuff and there's a lot of female soldiers that came forward at this point to talk about some of the sexual harassment sexual abuse sexual assaults that they experienced during their time in the military and they kept quiet about because it just wasn't safe and they didn't even report it after they got out of the military because they were afraid so this case really brought a lot of issues with the U.S. military and with with female soldiers, and in this case, a Hispanic female soldier, to to the forefront. And meanwhile, investigators continue to look at Specialist Robinson and his statements from the day and evening PFC Guillen went missing. On May 19th, CID went through his phone and saw that he had made several lengthy phone calls to his girlfriend, uh, Cecilia Aguilar, from a town 20 miles east of Fort Hood. This was contrary to his claim that he was with his girlfriend all evening, just outside the base gates in Killeen. When asked about the calls, Cecilie stated she had lost her phone and Specialist Robinson was calling it to help her locate it. But the calls indicated that someone answered the phone and had lengthy conversations, and this happened several times. And so again, so many times people think they've carried out the perfect crime, and investigators are able to find something that their story just doesn't make any sense because they're going to be each other's alibi. Clearly they're going to be involved in this case, uh, but they're going to be each other's alibi saying, Hey, Specialist Robinson saying I watched PFC again, walk out of the, the armory that day. And then I never saw her again. And I left work that day shortly after I drove to my girlfriend's house and we hung out all night together. And the girlfriend saying, yep, he showed up to my place. We hung out all night together. So police are, without any further evidence they don't have a lot to go on but what they're going to see is that's not the cell phones are saying something different that specialist robinson is not at his girlfriend's house and the two of them likely aren't together because they're having these lengthy phone conversations and when you're with somebody there's no reason to have a lengthy phone conversation with them and so when presented with this evidence quickly cicely's going to try to change her story and 
she's going to say, oh, well, I lost my phone. So all those phone calls you see are him calling my phone to try to locate it. Well, that might work if none of these phone calls were picked up and they all occurred probably, you know, even if they occurred at different periods of time throughout the evening, if nobody ever picks up that phone, that actually would be a probably a pretty good explanation for why there's all these phone calls, even though you're together. But when the second that one of those phone calls is answered, and then there's a lengthy conversation, and then more calls are being made after that with lengthy conversations, that's not somebody who lost their phone and is trying to have somebody help find them while they're together. That's two people who are in separate locations having lengthy conversations with each other. So police are immediately going to see these two are lying. Something's going on here. We need to look at this closer. And so witnesses are eventually going to come forward and told investigators they saw Specialist Robinson roll a black cargo box out of the armory and into his car before driving off. And this occurred around the time he reported that PFC Guillen left the building. And so there were originally there were three officers that had signed sworn affidavits saying they saw PFC Guillen leave the building that day. Now, no article that I found located those three soldiers to find out if they were lying. There is a chance that maybe they saw her walk out to her car at some point to gather grab something. We've all, you know, needed to grab a phone charger out of our car or something that we left in our vehicle during the you know the middle of a work day. So maybe it's possible that because she wasn't planning on going to work that day when she walked into the building, she forgot something and the 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 soldier saw her walk out to her car and the timing just happened to be around the time that the crime is going to occur so a crime could have occurred after she walked back into the building uh, situation and so what looked like an alibi looked like her leaving it i couldn't find the affidavit themselves to say they watched her get into a car and drive away it was just that they saw her leaving the building around that time so if they said that they saw her get in a car and drive away, well, that wouldn't make sense either because her car's still there and her car keys are in the armory. So either they saw the wrong person or they saw something that they really didn't really see or, again, they're just flat out lying to try to cover for Specialist Robinson. But anyway, that was that was a completely different part of the story, but it did throw off investigators for a while because they were working on the assumption that if three people saw her walk out of that building, she must have gone somewhere on her own accord after leaving the building or if something did happen to her it happened to her outside of the building but now we've got these witnesses coming forward saying that they saw Specialist Robinson roll this black cargo box and so the military hauls a lot of their equipment to and from either different bases or combat zones using one of the, these black tough boxes so they're like think of big black lockable containers that are made of a thick heavy plastic and so that you can put stuff inside of, of these big containers and they can be loaded onto pallets and then loaded onto transport planes or helicopters or whatever it needs to be but it, it's a way for large items to be safely transported especially weapons and that kind of stuff so they're going to see him taking out this large plastic kind of think of it as a large tub but big enough that it would probably take up almost an entire trunk of a vehicle or the back seat of a vehicle this is a pretty good size black cargo box 
eventually the family's going to get help from an organization called Texas EquiSearch. And this is a nationally renowned search and re recovery organization that specializes in missing persons investigations. And especially in difficult terrain, they use ATVs, they use horses, they use cadaver dogs. These are people trained to conduct searches and they're wanting to search the area where Specialist Robinson phone was pinging uh, the night that PFC Guillen went missing. So they're going to take out their ATVs and their dogs and, and, and their horses and everything like that and search because, again, this is a very rough and remote area of central Texas. So it's not an area you're going to be able to get out on foot and cover large distances on. It's, 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 a, it's a wide open search area. So this is exactly what Texas EquiSearch, and they've searched swamps, mountains, all types of difficult terrain uh, using their, their various means to try to locate these missing missing people. And they're very good at it. So they, they stepped up, especially with the amount of publicity behind this case. There was a real drive to locate PFC Guillen and get some answers for the family. So they step up and on June 20th, the group, group located a burn pile near a creek in the area where Specialist Robinson's phone had indicated he was on the evening of April 22nd. This burn pile is definitely suspicious, but at first nothing directly linking to PFC Guillen's body was located. I think they did locate uh, some burned remnants of, of a military-style tough box. So they're starting to think, we've got Specialist Robinson in the area, we've got these reports of him hauling out this black cargo box, we've got remnants of this black cargo box in this burn pile, but what we don't have is anything with PFC Guillen's body at this point. And Again, if you're playing devil's advocate, if you're playing the defense here, he can later come back and claim, yeah, there was some old crap that was some old paperwork and stuff, and I was an idiot, and I hauled it out in an army tough box, and I, I burned it at this at this location just to get rid of it. Like, I'm an idiot, charge me with theft, charge me with arson, but there's nothing at this point linking him directly to any crime involving PFCBN. But on June 30th, construction workers working on a fence near this creek located human remains just a few yards from the burn pile. Investigators theorized that sometime between June 20th and June 30th, animals had located the body and began scavenging it. A sophisticated clandestine grave was soon discovered in the area, and the grave contained the remaining body of PFC Guillen. Her body had been buried and then had concrete poured on top of it to help avoid discovery by digging animals and searchers. And I'll get actually more into this sophisticated clandestine grave because I know that sounds like an oxymoron. I know sophisticated and clandestine don't usually go together, but a clandestine grave just means any grave that is not formally dug as part of a, a normal funeral rites situation. So if it's not being purposely dug in a cemetery to lower a body into, to have a headstone placed at it, anything like that, it's considered clandestine. And a clandestine grave can be as simple as a shallow grave with dirt poured over the top of it. It can be a pre-existing depression in the ground where a body is put and then stuff is piled on top of it. It doesn't have to be super sophisticated, but in other cases they can be. Somebody can put in a lot of time and effort to try to disguise the burial location and that's what, what happened here. In fact, I think it was one of the leaders of this Texas EquiSearch would say that this was the most complicated clandestine grave they'd ever seen. 
So on the evening of the 30th, investigators located Specialist Robinson's girlfriend, uh, Cecily, who was the ex-wife of a Fort Hood soldier. She told investigators on the afternoon of April 22nd, she was told by Specialist Robinson that he had killed PFC Guillen. He told her that he had hit her on the head with a hammer multiple times in order to murder her. He then told her that he removed PFC Guillen's body from the armory in a large plastic tote, and that evening the two of them dismembered the soldier's body. The plan was initially to burn the body, but when that failed, they decided to place the body parts into holes that they had dug in the, in the desert. She later bought concrete from someone online, and the two of them returned to the burial site. They dug up the remains, burned them again, and then put the remaining parts into the concrete mix and then poured the concrete into the holes. They burned the clothing they had been wearing and left the area. Specialist Robinson had been confined to his barracks room, but left in the custody of an unarmed guard, and at some point in the evening, Specialist Robinson left his loosely secure confinement and went on the run. And so a couple things here, again, this is a better description of this sophisticated clandestine grave. There was definitely a lot of effort that went into trying to dispose of the body in such a way that it would never be found. Uh, fortunately, it was, and again, just like the McStay case, oftentimes bodies buried in desert or wasteland. It's these animals that are scavenging, that are looking for any type of food source. And again, I know that's macabre and, and morbid and grotesque to talk about, but that is often the case where these parts of bodies will be brought to the surface by these scavenging animals. And that's how investigators eventually locate these bodies. So even with all this effort, the, the dismemberment, the burning, the concrete mix, thankfully, investigators are still able to locate the remains of PFC Guillen. It's in the area where Specialist Robinson had been. So it said at first, basically, Specialist Robinson had been confined as a result of him breaking COVID-19 protocols. They used some basically minor charge in which just to hold him while they were further investigating this. So I guess that's probably why they didn't have a couple armed MPs with him is they didn't want him catching on to the fact that they knew he was involved with the disappearance and they had located the body. But what is strange is it sounds like either he figured it out somehow, you know, word travels fast on military bases. They probably didn't take his phone away. Probably some people have been texting him saying, hey, they found PFC Guillen, whether these people knew he was involved in it or not, but eventually he's probably going to put two and two together and realize it's not COVID-19 protocols that are keeping him in his barracks room or, or a violation of those protocols that they're keeping him in there. It is that they want to eventually arrest him for this murder. And so it's not difficult for somebody to get past an unarmed guard and he's able to do so and now he's on the run. And so it was while Specialist Robinson is on the run that investigators ask Cecily to call him on a recorded line to see if he'd admit to his involvement, and this was also an attempt to locate him. And during the phone call, she told her boyfriend that they found pieces referring to the body of PFC Guillen, and she also sent several texts about the discovery, and at no point did Specialist Robinson deny involvement in the crime. And so this is one of those situations where investigators are hoping for him to give some solid indication that he's involved in the crime as a part of eventually a trial or court-martial or, or whatever, but it's it's his lack of 
denial that they'll they would have eventually used uh, basically if somebody starts texting me about somebody finding a body in a certain location i know i haven't killed anybody i know i haven't buried anybody so if they start texting me about be like okay well you know that that's terrible that's horrible for her family you know i was hoping she'd be found alive something along those lines but when you're just kind of like okay or just basically don't deny your involvement that's also kind of telling and cecily's in trouble as well she's facing charges likely for obstruction of justice and some form of a mutilation of a corpse and so it's possible that she cooperated with law enforcement in an attempt to lessen her criminal culpability in the future that's often the case whether it's a drug case where people are, are told that they can work off some of their charges if they tell the the officers where they're getting their drugs from uh, situation so it's likely that she realized she was in in some deep trouble for what she had done and she decided to try to save herself by getting specialist robinson into custody getting him to admit to what he had done and so she does she assists in helping law enforcement locate specialist robinson he's nearby in colleen and as they closed in on on him he killed himself when the officer located him now, as for a motive for the murder, investigators believe that either Specialist Robinson made advancements on PFC Guillen that she threatened to report as she had told her mom that she would take care of the matter herself, or she had knowledge about Cecily's relationship with Specialist Robinson. And this is according to some reports. I had said that she was the ex-wife of a Fort Hood soldier. It's possible that they were just separated uh, because another article said that she was still married to this Fort Hood soldier. And so that would make this relationship between Specialist Robinson and her adultery, which is a punishable offense under UCMJ. There was some information out there that apparently, and this I think this came from Sicily, that PFC Guillen saw a photo of Sicily on his phone. It was like his lock screen photo or something along those lines. And that she would have known then that they were involved romantically and that she knew that Cicely wasn't uh, divorced so that this would represent some type of a crime. I'm guessing that information came from Specialist Robinson and the only person they would be getting that information from would be Cicely. So it's, I don't believe that is likely the case. I believe it's more likely that he called Specialist Robinson called PFC Guillen that day and he was going to make some advances on her. If I remember right, he supposedly followed her while she was jogging. He supposedly uh, stalking her. It's clear that he had a romantic interest in her and one that wasn't healthy. And it sounds like it was just the two of them in the building that day. So it's possible that he was supposed to have that day off as well and went into work and then created some type of a reason for her to come into work so the two of them could be alone and that he could try to make again some type of a sexual advance on her at which point again she had told her mother she was going to take care of the matter herself so once he makes this move on her it's very possible that she said you know she's going to report him and maybe she did say something about you know not only am i going to report you for your behavior i'm also going to let him know that you're dating this this wife of a soldier and he realized you know he's in trouble multiple different ways he's already been there's already been several reports about his behavior uh, towards female soldiers and then also this 
potential bombshell of the adultery case and he lost it and decided to silence her and uh, as i said either way specialist robinson's actions were an attempt to silence pfc Guillen and were another example of how toxic and dangerous the workplace at fort hood was for all soldiers but especially women and several high-ranking politicians to include then president donald trump met with pfc Guillen's family in the wake of the discovery of the soldiers remains they made it a mission to try to prevent further acts of sexual and physical violence against service members and eventually passed the i am vanessa Guillen act which took the responsibility of investigations of sexual harassment and sexual assault, as well as other violent crimes such as murder, kidnapping, etc., away from members of the soldier's chain of command and assigns them to independent investigators. And it also has protections in place for those reporting the crimes. If you remember, we talked about in the other the episode, I believe it was the, the 2009 Fort Hood shooting episode, a lot of the UCMJ stuff and even investigations into soldier behavior is handled within the soldiers' units by their chain of command. And this is, again, because when you're in a war zone or a combat environment, you don't always have time to set aside all these different soldiers to, to eventually go to, off to some place for a court-martial or an independent investigation or whatever it might be. So a lot of the times it's, it falls upon the officers within the chain of command of that soldier's unit to investigate these behaviors and because they're not trained investigators that are going to handle that on a regular basis and because they have a vested interest in not having these allegations come to light if you're in command of a unit and you have to admit that there's a whole bunch of sexual abuse or sexual assault going on in your unit towards female soldiers and it's gone on for some period of time under your command you're less likely to want to have that be exposed as a part of your own investigation into it so they they feel that a lot of the investigations that ended up being unfounded were because of the chain of command not wanting this to be exposed so they said okay well we're just going to take these away from you we'll let somebody else investigate it and if they find there is wrongdoing you know there's going to be action taken and it's outside of your control so so these are some positive steps that are being made uh, to try to put an end to some of this culture in this atmosphere And the civilian review of the operations at Fort Hood found woefully inadequate policies and procedures in regards to the reporting and handling of sex crimes allegations. It found an atmosphere that took reports of criminal activity very lightly and often failed to act on missing soldier reports until after 24 hours, and even then the soldier was usually just listed as AWOL with little to no investigation, leaving families with no information or resources. And so this is this is the difficult thing if the army looks at a soldier and decides that they are choosing voluntarily to to disappear and they don't investigate anything if the family calls what is the army going to tell the family well i don't know your son or daughter they took off we don't we don't know where they are we don't know anything about it we're not even really looking into it and so what's that what's the family going to do they're not going to be able to have access to these records they're not going to know anything that's going on with their soldier and and trying to get information out of a chain of command out of the military in general from the outside is almost impossible so oftentimes families are just met with these walls of silence and so they're left with no information as to where their child is or their brother or their sister or their their loved one 
and as a result of the investigation, 14 high-ranking base officials were relieved of their command as an overhaul of leadership and atmosphere was recommended, as well as several changes to the military police and criminal investigation division investigation policies. Soldiers reported missing now immediately obtained Dust One, which is duty status whereabouts unknown designation and cannot be named AWOL unless there is strong evidence to suggest the soldier is missing voluntarily and upon being named Dust One, the military is required to assign a liaison officer to the family of the missing soldier until that soldier is located. So basically they can't now just assume that a soldier is missing voluntarily and went AWOL. They have to have some pretty strong evidence. So they're gonna, when a soldier goes missing, they're gonna pull aside a lot of their fellow soldiers, see if the soldier was talking about leaving the military. Again, look at how much time is left in their service to see if it makes sense that they would go AWOL what's going on in their personal life to see if there's a reason that they would leave without permission. And if they can't find any evidence, if, if a soldier is a good soldier and has made no comments about leaving or wanting to get out or going AWOL, they have this dust wand status, which actually isn't new. It's been around for quite a while. It just wasn't used very often. I think the most popular case of dust wand was the Bo Bergdahl case where he basically left the U.S. military to join the, I think it was the Taliban. It's been a while. I didn't look into the case that closely, but it's it's something where he it isn't proven he could be a prisoner of war. He could be something else. They don't know, and it, it's not quite missing in action. It doesn't quite reach that level, or it can be where it's not related to a combat zone, so missing in action doesn't really fit. It's more of a, we just don't quite know what happened to the soldier and more investigation is needed. So the, the military already had this in place. They decided they're just going to start using it instead of automatically jumping to the idea that the soldier probably went AWOL. And these advancements have been welcomed by the family of now Specialist Guillen. And I, she was uh, promoted posthumously to the rank of Specialist and... Again, just like the, the calling of Fort Hood, I like to be accurate to the timeline of when things are going on. I think it makes more sense when you're explaining the story that she was a PFC at the time. The, the suspect, who's also now deceased, the specialist, was a rank above her. So from now, I don't have much reason to refer to her for the rest of this episode, but I just want to make sure before I, I left this episode that everybody knew that she was promoted posthumously to the rank of specialist, and her family has seen these advancements um, as a step in the right direction. But as mentioned in the last episode, the double suicides on March 13th, 2023, and the lack of transparency by the officials at Port Cavazos show there's still a long way to go to make this base and many other bases safer for soldiers. And just as recent as August 14th, which is three days before I recorded this, Cecilia Aguilar was sentenced to 30 years in prison for accessory after the fact and three counts of false statements or representation. And she received the maximum sentence for her crimes. And I, I didn't see, I tried to look um, whether this was a trial situation or whether this was part of a plea agreement. Again, I mentioned that she did cooperate with authorities. And, I mean, she obviously made... The wrong choice to assist Specialist Robinson in this in this case. She what she did was absolutely terrible, and no person should ever ever do what she did. 
but I think she's definitely taking the brunt as the surviving suspect of this case. I think if Specialist Robinson had not killed himself, it's possible that she may have faced less time or less charges because she would have been able to testify against him. But being that he killed himself, she's just kind of left in the wind. Not that I feel sorry for her. I just, I found it interesting that she agreed to cooperate in the very beginning. And usually that if they cooperate in the beginning and throughout the entire investigation and trial, they get, they don't get the maximum sentence. So to me, because he killed himself, she's, she's left out there and there's really no reason for the state to show her any leniency because there's 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 no benefit to the state to, for her to testify against somebody to give them a, a harsher punishment or anything like that but that wraps up the case of specialist Vanessa Guillen and the many tragic and terrible deaths and crimes that are associated with the old Fort Hood and hopefully the change in the base name and the atmosphere and culture can lift the evil out of the air around Colleen Texas thanks for listening guys Stay tuned for future episodes and feel free to write me at TrueBlueCrimeProductions at gmail.com. You can also find me at TrueBlueCrimeProductions on Facebook and support me via Patreon at TrueBlueCrimeProductions. That's it for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Goodbye.